We've got a handout for you. We probably have one each night for a little while, each Wednesday night. We're going to be studying the book of Judges. And uh, anybody ever gone through Judges before? You're, you're doing it right now. Praise the Lord. Well, you're probably going to know some things I don't know, which is great. <laughs> That'd be awesome if you're really getting into it. We are studying Judges chapter 1 tonight. And uh, that handout will give you just a little bit of an overlay of what happens throughout this, this book. If you could kind of see a panorama here of God doing something in Israel that I think connects really well with our culture and our lifestyle today, you'll see that there's a cycle that occurs, and it's right there at the center of your page. If you could see that cycle there, you could see that there's sin or suffering, and then there's this circle, right? Cycle. And then there's repentance, or what we call supplication. And then God raises up a judge and brings salvation. Then there's silence or peace. Then Israel falls back into sin again and rinse repeat. And as we're famous for saying in this church, the lesson is repeated until it's learned, right? Well, this happens six times in Israel's history. And what's interesting is this is 410 years of Israel's history. Now, our nation is just a bit over, what, 249, maybe 50 years. Imagine 410 years of this happening. This is a period of time between Joshua coming into the promised land after Moses and all the way up to King David. That would be 410 years. This is a phrase that is repeated throughout the book of Judges. You can see it right there on your handout. It's right at the bottom. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. So everyone did what was right. Come on, church. In his own eyes. And that's where I want you to connect with culture today. We are in a day and age where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. In their own eyes. And so they had no king. Now, we do have a king today, believe it or not. You don't elect kings. We know this. His name is Jesus. We do have a king now. And one of the interesting things about Judges, I'm not going to go over all of it tonight because uh, it's pretty deep. But I want you to write a word down, if you wouldn't mind. It's typology. Type, just like it, just like it sounds, type, alogy. Throughout the book of Judges, there are typological moments that speak of Jesus. What is typology? Did, did man invent typology? No, God did. Paul was the first to use typology in the New Testament. He pointed back to the Old Testament and said, look, there is a picture. There is a, Paul says, type and shadow of Christ. So each of these judges, their names actually tell us something more about who King Jesus is and about how things can be made right when we get King Jesus where he ought to be on the throne of our hearts, right? And, and running the show. And so here's another word for you, if you don't mind. Christophany. It's just Christophony. Christophany. A Christophany is a typology that goes even a little bit farther. It is an actual 
appearance of Jesus pre-incarnate. There are some moments in the book of Judges, as well as the Old Testament, where Jesus actually shows up. I believe that in the Old Testament, Jesus is the fourth man in the fire. Come on. I believe in the book of Joshua that it says that it's an angel, but you can see in the Hebrew word there, it's messenger, that Jesus appears to Joshua. Joshua takes off his sandals, it's holy ground, begins to worship, and the angel says, it's okay. The angel doesn't deny that moment of worship. Here is Jesus speaking to Joshua. That is a Christophany. Okay? So we see Jesus showing up throughout the Old Testament. Why do we see Jesus showing up throughout the Old Testament? Because Jesus himself said in the New Testament, everything that was written about me in the law and the prophets speak of me. All of that speaks of Jesus. And so we're going to see some of that in the Judges. I want to give you a little bit more of a background here of what we'll be looking at. How many of you know a lot of things start out, you know, whether it be with God, a marriage, a family, a job, uh, a church, a lot of things start out great and they go from good to bad and from bad to worse. And that's the book of Judges. The farther they go along, the more the heroes in the book of Judges are flawed. And so we've got some really good ones right in the first few chapters, like Othniel and Deborah. And then we get on to Gideon. He's, he's okay, but he's not so good. Well, actually, when we get to Gideon, I'm going to show you some things in Judges where Gideon starts to lose his mind. All right? And then as we go along, we're going to be studying all the way up to Samson, where things get really, really bad. How many of you know in the beginning of the book of Judges, it's a really good story, but at the end, it is horrifically bad. And it's God's people where it's horrifically bad. Can you just give me a couple minutes? We'll dive into Judges chapter 1, but I want to give you a couple minutes on just how bad it gets. At the end of Judges, there are four chapters in particular. We see that chapters 17 through 21, things get really bad with the Danites. That's one of the tribes of Israel. And the Benjamites, okay? The Danites and the Benjamites. Now what happens here is the Danites come along and they decide that they're going to grab this priest, Micah, who is worshiping in a place that he shouldn't be. He's not worshiping where God had ordained it or the way God ordained it. They grab this priest, they grab his idols, they have not decided to be, um, let's say, content with the land that God gave them. And so they move to a place that would later be called the gates of hell. They move to a place that would later be, be, uh, be called Caesarea Philippi. It would be, later be the place where it would be the seat of Satan in that, in that region. Okay, They set up Micah there and they set up worship there. As a result, we see that the Danites are not mentioned in the 144,000. God so judges them because of their idolatry is so bad, and I'm going to get into how bad it is probably later, okay? It's kind of gross. We won't get, get too gross tonight, but it's super, super bad. There's one other tribe, the Benjamites. What do they do? The Benjamin, Benjamites are a warring clan. They're a small clan, but they're a warring clan of the 12 tribes. They decide when one of the Levites come into their land with a concubine, 
We know what a concubine is, right? Don't get one. You'll get in a lot of trouble. All right? So he comes in with a concubine. They have so fallen in their spirituality, they've come to an immoral place where they seek to sleep with this man. This man says, I'm not coming out to do that. I'm not going to defile myself, but you can have my concubine. They end up sleeping with her, and she dies as a result. Parts of her are sent throughout the land. This is in the Bible. Don't get mad at me. (laughs) This is how bad it gets, okay? Parts of her are sent throughout the land. This so enrages the 11 other tribes that they come back to the Benjamites, and they're like, we're kicking your rear ends. And the Benjamites are like, bring it on. There's 11 of you, and there's one of us, but bring it on. And the result is they are killed within 500 people left in their tribe and they hide in caves for a very, very long time. Say, pastor, why are you bringing this stuff up? Because you think it's bad now. You see, just when you think we've hit the brakes, right? As hard as we possibly could, or we've gone as far as we possibly could, you can go farther. Unfortunately, things could get a lot darker. Things could get a lot worse. I'm not here to be apocalyptic, but I am here to tell you that at any time we could get Jesus. At any time we could get the king, right? Yeah, so that's the point of tonight. We're going to be studying this a little bit tonight. I want to give you a little bit, just a tad bit more background. We'll dive right in, all right? Understand this. It took 40 years for God to get Israel out of Egypt. 40 years. They want, It was an 11-day journey, but it took them 40 years to get there. Why? Because they walked in a big circle. You remember when they got to the promised land, they were told to go in. They came back with the wrong report. Come on. Right? And as a result, that entire generation had to die off. It took 40 years to get God's people out of Egypt. It took 410 years to get Egypt out of God's people. 410 years. The big deal is not God called you out of the world. The big deal is God getting the world out of you. That's the big deal here. And that's what we see in the book of Judges is that God is raising up people, placing his spirit on these people for the sole purpose of getting us to come out of the world and live holy and live righteously. The big deal in the book of Judges is that at one point they are to drive out the Canaanites, but at a certain point the people around the, the nation of Israel or the people of the tribes of Israel can't tell the difference between the Canaanites, Canaanites and the Israelites because they're living the same. Can the world tell the difference? Can the world look at the church today, at least to the American church, and see a difference? We see the number 12 throughout this book. It's the number of government. We see that God's government is what's called for. And that helps us understand the kind of the background of where we're headed here. Othniel is the first judge we're going to study tonight. In, first, in Judges chapter 1, uh, verse 12 through 15, it says, Then Caleb, now we know what Caleb's name means, right? Dog or dogged. Don't think dog in the form of, in, in, in the sense of uh, outcast or dirty. Think dogged in the form of, a pit bull locking his jaws on a tire and never letting go. Caleb, the Bible said, had a different spirit in him. 
He, was a, he had a spirit within him that would not give up, that would not quit, that would not let go. We see that Caleb says this, whoever attacks, and this has a J in it, this word, but it's actually pronounced with a Y, Kerioth Sefer. Whoever attacks Kerioth Sefer and takes it. What is Kerioth Sefer? It is the city of the book. Write that down. It is the city of the book. Later, the name is changed to Debar, which means sanctuary, place of worship. So Caleb says, as they're coming into the promised land, the first set of Canaanites they find are the Anakim. These are the giants. These are evil, evil, evil people. They are the people that offer their children as sacrifice unto Moloch. They're bad, bad Leroy Browns. And Caleb says, whoever takes this city, what city? City of the book. Later changed to sanctuary. I want to talk to you about the word and worship. I want to tell you where the giants are. The giants aren't in the bar. The giants aren't in the bar. There's plenty of bondage already there in the bar. And the people in the bar are already doing themselves in. You got to hear me tonight. The giants aren't out on the streets. The giants... The real threat from the enemy is just before you get yourself in the Word of God. The real threat from the enemy is just before you get yourself into real worship. That's where the enemy shows up. I taught you last Sunday that most of what you're going through, you put yourself through. Don't give the devil glory for it. You're you're hearing a voice inside and it comes from your own flesh or it comes from the world. Where, is the, where are the giants today? As soon as you decide to get your life right in the word of God and start worshiping God again, you are going to face a giant. Somebody heard me tonight. And, I, and, and don't think for a second that the devil's going to put on kid gloves just because you showed up in the territory. I want you to see Caleb says, going to that place called the book, change to sanctuary or worship. Take that place. That's where God's calling you, church. He's calling you back to the Word of God. He's calling you back to worship. I want you to see this. They had a 10-foot-high champion giant there in the city. His name is Arba. He had three overgrown giant sons. We're talking biggins, man. They grew so numerous that 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 whole entire area was southern Canaan. Nobody would dare go into that area except for Caleb. How old is Caleb at this time? He is 80 years old. Caleb is the guy that said, I'll take the hill country where the Anakim are, and I'll come down and I'll fight here too. He's 80 years old. Nobody can give God the excuse that I'm too old to be used. When you read the Old Testament and you see that Caleb can do it, God is calling you to do it. You're not done. I want you to see that warfare is the way of life for anyone that is getting into the word and worship. Those two areas will always bring conflict into your life, but it is a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor if you're getting hit. It's a badge of honor if you're taking the punches. God is saying, I'm preparing you for a place of promotion. There wouldn't be a pullback if there wasn't a setup for a promotion in your life. God is saying, if you can take the heat now, I can call you to be the head, not the tail. I don't know who I'm talking to. 
I want the attacks to stop. Just get out of the Word. I want my life to go easier. Just stop worshiping. That's all you got to do. Because you're not a threat anymore. You take yourself to hell. It, it, you're not a, you're, listen, on, on, on the enemy's most wanted list, your face disappears. Come on. Just like Back to the Future. Marty McFly's family start disappear, disappearing on that picture. Your face starts disappearing on the hell's most wanted list. But as soon as you get back in the word of God, as soon as you get into that city of the book, and you begin to read God's word, and you live your life according to it, and you start to worship God, <laughs> you're going to get attacked. People come and they tell me, you know, I'm under attack right now. I, I, immediately, you know what I think? You must be in the word. You must be worshiping the one true God. Yeah. What a badge of honor. Many people consider opposition a sign of something that has led them out of the will of God. Let me tell you something. Opposition is a sign that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. We think the promised land is a place of blessings. We think we get the grapes, but we don't get the giants. And we forget what Paul said. Paul said this. He said that a great door, effectual door is open for me. But in the same place are adversaries. In the same place of an open door is a giant. Walk through. Walk through by faith. Continue to go in the direction of resistance. Come on. Doors are in the places of difficulty. Opportunities are in the places of opposition. Blessings are in the place of burdens. Grapes in the place of giants. Look at Judges. Look back at that, that verse here, 12 through 15. Caleb says, whoever attacks Kiriath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give my daughter, Aksha, that's how you pronounce her name, as a wife. And you're thinking, whoop-de-doo. Whoop-de-doo. You mean I got to go take on a 10-foot man and his sons? Uh, can, I, can I help you out here a little bit? This part of uh, Israel is just east, southeast of the Dead Sea. It's a desert. It's nothing there. Really. It's called the Negev. N-E-G-E-B. Negev. It's a desert. You mean I'm going to go into this desert for the Lord? You mean I'm going to go into this dry place and do something for God? You mean I'm going to be called by God and, and, I, and just for her? Just for that little, little lady over there? There's a story here behind the story. Caleb offers his daughter. Why? Because Caleb is a man of God. And he wants to lean into his legacy. You and I should be doing the same. I don't want anybody marrying my daughters who isn't a fighter. And that's what Caleb is doing. Caleb is saying, I'm not giving my little girl off to... By the way, it was his only daughter. I'm not giving my daughter off to somebody who won't trust God to fight. It's one thing if one generation will fight for the Lord. But what we need is multi-generations in the church who will trust and believe God and fight for the Lord. Can you raise your kids up so that they will not marry somebody who will not fight? And that's what Caleb was doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this person responded to the challenge. I'm going to tell you about him. This person was a man of faith. He was tenacious. He was persistent. He had pit bull jaws. He locked in. The stories would be told not just of Caleb, but of Othniel. Othniel was a man that stepped up and said, I'll go, I'll fight. 60 years old, by the way. 
that's not young enough for me. (laughs) I wanted to drop from 80 down to like 30. Come on, church. He's 60 years old. He said, I'll fight. I'll be the one to do it. Othniel, God is a lion. He, by the way, is from the tribe of Judah. (laughs) Maybe you're... Maybe you're picking up what I'm saying tonight. Maybe you're smelling what the rock's cooking. Maybe you're, maybe you're picking it up. <laughs> Parents, instill in the heart of each other and your children a sense of spiritual destiny. Lean into your legacy. Look for your Othniel. Look for that person in your life that's going to serve the Lord with your child. Don't just give your kids off to anybody. We need to teach our kids to lead and minister as soon as possible. They don't need to sit out there or sit back there. They need to be right up here. They need to be leading the charge. And we need to be a church that does it. I want to see you now. The prize here is Axia. What is the prize here? Let me tell you what her name means. It means bursting the veil. And I'm going to tell you a story how this all comes together in just a moment. Judges chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to read the rest of that text. It says, And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, so this would be his nephew, took it. So he gave him his daughter, Axia, as a wife. The Lion of God from the tribe of Judah. Now I want to show you, and maybe perhaps the Holy Spirit will do a better job. I know he will than I will. But I want to show you that this is a story of a father. It's a story of a father who says, whoever defeats the enemy in a place called the book, whoever will defeat the enemy in a place that's been renamed the sanctuary, a place of worship, I will give the bride, (laughs) bursting the veil. It's a story of the son, Othniel, whose name means the Lion of God from the tribe of Judah who says, I'll stand up, I'll go, I'll go get her. (laughs) I'll fight the enemy with the word and worship. Come on, church. And Caleb's nephew, Othniel, responds to the challenge. He takes the city. Axia is his wife. And I read, I don't know, maybe you've read it, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, where it says Jesus died on the cross and the temple veil was torn. And because that temple veil was torn, the bride of Christ... The church comes bursting through. (laughs) Here's the icing on the wedding cake. The church is the bride. But it ain't over. There's more to the story. Judges chapter 1 verse 15. Now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field. Okay, so uh, now that we're married, Othniel... I want you to go ask your uncle, my dad, for something. Now that we're married, I wonder if dad will give me something. Have you ever thought for a moment that you and I have such access to the father that you could ask him for something? Watch this. Have you ever thought for a moment that you could ask God for Finley? And he would give it to you. Finley don't belong to Finley. It belongs to the Father. Have you ever thought that you could ask God 
for your neighborhood? Have you ever thought that you could ask God for your living room? Have you ever thought that you could ask God for wherever your children stand and that he'd give it to you? And why would he give it to you? Not because of what you've done. He'd give it to you because of what the lion, the tribe of Judah has done. He went and fought. He went and said it was finished. He went and paid the price. So notice what she does. <laughs> she says, hey, hubby, go ask your uncle, my daddy, for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey. Hey, get off your high horse. It ain't even a horse, it's a donkey. And Caleb said to her, what do you wish? And watch this, watch this. Axia says, give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land in the south, give me also the springs of water. And Caleb, not Othniel, Caleb, the father, gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And this is a preach, this is a preach, this is so good. Watch this. It goes from, hey, Jesus, go to the father and ask him if I can have this, to the father going, Jesus has already paid for you to talk to me. You can come right, you can come right to me. What do you want, child? Come boldly into the throne room of God. What is it that you wish? I love what she asks. I love the phrase, go big or go home. Because we're so often asking God for such little things. And God says, I can do so much more, you know. I can do beyond what you could think or ask. And she says, don't just give me that field. I need water. But she doesn't just say water. She says, waters. Give me the upper waters and the lower waters. What good is a piece of land with no water? Can't grow anything in that. Can't do anything in that. Do you know the water comes from the aquifers in that part of Israel? So that's the lower. But there's also water that could come from up north. Now that's going to diminish the water up north. If you get the water down south. Come on, is somebody smelling what I'm putting out right now? I don't just need the water that comes up from the ground. I want the water from up there too. I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about the former and the latter rain. I want to talk to you about how the rain of God is represented in the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you about how Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow wells, wells of living water. I want to talk to you about how Jacob dug wells for water. I want to talk to you about a church that has believed God for something to bubble up, but a church also should believe God for something to rain and pour down. And I'm telling you, if you'll believe God for the Holy Ghost to rain down, He'll not just give you this field. He'll not just give you Finley. He'll not just give you your neighborhood or your home. He'll not just give you that factory you work in. He'll pour down His Spirit upon all flesh. It won't just be you, but it'll be sons and daughters that will prophesy. Young and old men will drink dreams. Come on. God is going to bring a rain. And not just somewhere else where we all got to get in a bus and drive 12 hours to it. God can do it right here. Give me, give me the springs. Give me the waters. The upper springs. The lower springs. She gets it. Can I just say tonight that God will equip you with every good thing that he calls you to? 
Hebrews 13, 21. He will equip you for everything he's called you to. Listen, I want to tell you. It's no duh that you're in a desert. Do you know what duh means? Do I have to explain duh? It's no duh that you're in a desert. Every single one of you are. On purpose. God's going to bring life there. Doesn't his word say, see, I'm doing a new thing. See, it springs up from the... Come on. It's no duh that God's got you in a desert. Let me tell you why he's got you there. Because it's not going to be a desert for long. (laughs) And he will equip you for everything he's called you to do. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love in this story, I love in this story that no small thing was asked for. She already had the land, but she got the springs too. And that means that she got the life. And that means that she asked for something that she didn't have to fight or pay for. And I like that. Are you believing that tonight or are you thinking that you have to impress the father? He's only impressed with his son. When you come to the father in the name of his son and you come boldly in the name of what his son has fought and died for, you don't just get the land, you get a spirit. (laughs) Now, I want to leave you with this thought. I got a couple of thoughts, but I'm going to leave you early tonight here. Um, Axa, her mother, we need to talk about her mother. Her mother's name is M-A-A-C-H-A-H. Ma-Sha. Ma-Sha. This is Caleb's concubine. It's not Caleb's wife. Ma-Sha means depression. Means depression. She was the daughter of depression. And I present a choice before you tonight. You can choose to live the rest of your life busted and disgusted, sick and tired of being sick and tired, depressed and walking in disdain. You can say, look what I've come from. Look what I've gone through. Look at my home life. Look at my past. Look at all the things that have happened. Look at all the bad. Or you can fall in love with Othniel. I'm telling you, you've got to be willing to abandon something. You've got to leave something or someplace you are in order to go to someplace you want to be. You can't stay in that place and go to this place. Because wherever you are, that's where you are. Not too bad. You want to stay depressed? You can be depressed. You want to leave depression? Fall in love with Jesus. The lion, the tribe of Judah, man. Fall in love with him. And go to the Father in his name boldly, knowing what he's done for you. Refuse that life. Whatever you're willing to walk away from determines where God can bring you. If you're not willing to walk away, he can't bring you to any place new. Everybody in the Bible moved. Everybody. If you're comfortable in depression, you made your bed. 
you can bust out. You can break out. She did. Her name even means bursting the veil. We as a church must choose destiny over the past depression. You must choose destiny over disdain. You must choose destiny over depression. And James says in James chapter 4, verse 2, you have not because you ask not. Have you asked for anything different? Well, let me tell you my story. Is it a story about where you're going? Or about where you're from. Where you're from is not that important. Where you're going, and where this church is going, and where your family is going, and where you are going in the Lord is all of importance. And there's too much talk about what's back there, and there's not enough talk about what's ahead and in front of us. Fall in love with Jesus. He's already conquered the enemy of that place. You don't even have to fight, man. It's over, it's done, it's finished. You just got to be willing to believe that and come to the Father with that kind of praying. You want to impress the Father? Tell him how great Jesus is. Father, I love the bridegroom. I love him. He's strong. He's defeated the enemy. Father, I love what the bridegroom has provided for me. I don't see it all in the natural yet. It doesn't matter. I know it's mine. Father, what must I do? What must I do to inherit and receive everything your son has bought for me? They say, Pastor, that's good for you, but what about me? You pray your own prayer. You pray your own prayer. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. A couple verses, write them down, please, if you would. Isaiah 12, 23. With joy, you will draw water from wells of salvation. Can I just say this? Well, pastor, I got saved 20 years ago. That was one well. It says wells. Well, pastor, I've lost my joy. That's because all you ever had is one well. Well. (laughs) Where's the next well? Where's the next well? You know, we do this thing every once in a while, you know. I, anybody got a testimony, right? And it's like, all I hear is moaning. I, let, let's hear the next well. Wells of salvation equal joy. Here's the next thing, Proverbs eleven twenty five. He who waters will also be watered himself. You say, well, why are you having such a good time? Because I'm watering right now. I'm getting, I'm getting to water, right? And, and you know what? When I give something away to someone, God pays me back. I don't want your water. I want his. So you find somebody that needs water and water them. Go water them. You say, well, that's their territory. No, it's not. It belongs to you. <laughs> You're the bright Christ. Go water him. Walk up and encourage him. You say, I don't feel encouraged. You don't have to. Just go water him. Let God encourage you. (laughs) That's why David encouraged himself in the Lord. He didn't say, no, is there any of my mighty men that would come up right now and tell me? (laughs) 
They would tell me I'm not so bad as a leader, please. They wouldn't have followed him. I want to show you this. Psalms 87, 7. Because Axa knew this. Axa knew this. All my springs are in thee. All my springs are in thee. You, you, know what, you, know what, you know what the failure was in the story of Judges? Let me tell you. There was Moses. He brought him through the Red Sea. There was Joshua. He got him through the Jordan River. Everybody went, ooh, ah, oh. Right? Then they got to a place where they actually had to do something now for God. And it was just inherit. It was just come and stand and inherit. God called it rest. And I know that boggles your mind because it was full of giants. But from God's point of view, they were already conquered. So all they had to do was come in and possess and inherit. And instead, they went, oh, I don't know about that, and wandered for 40 years. We get back to Joshua. They finally get to go through. We go through the Jordan River. It's that flood stage. We even carry the ark through it. It's muddy. It's a muddy mess, but they get through it. And the water piles up all the way, the Bible says to Adam. That's a cool story right there. And uh, everybody goes, ooh, ah, oh. Then they go to possess the land, and they give each tribe part of the land. Where are the oohs? Where are the ahs? Where are the o's? And when Joshua dies, they fall into sin. Why? Because they couldn't serve God. To serve God, they had to have a man. They had to have somebody producing miracles in front of them to make them go, ooh, ah, oh. Then Jesus comes along and says, it's a wicked generation that seeks a sign. He didn't say signs were bad. He said the generation that seeks them is bad. He says signs and wonders follow you. You don't follow them. And so each and every time they fell into sin and became like the people around them, the enemy came in and enslaved them again. So then God raised up another judge, and it would be, ooh. Used to be a commercial, pizza hut, pizza to go. Help me. And they'd go, oh, we can serve God again. Then they'd rinse, repeat. Six times, 410 years. That's the American church today. That's living in between revivals. Yeah, all, all the way back, in my, in my opinion, all the way back since the Welsh revival in England. We're all just kind of waiting for the next ooh, ah, oh. And God just says, you know what? Othniel's here. Othniel's already provided. And you know what? You could have a relationship with him. And if, if you will just ask the Father... He'll give you the land, and he'll give you the water and the spirit. Would you stand with me tonight? Can we just take a few moments? I want you to take a few moments. We're not going to get religious here. Just take a few moments, and I want to think about what you might ask the Father. What you might believe the Father for. What you might believe God for that you might be a vessel of life in the middle of a dry and weary land, what you might believe God for. Come on.